before we start, it is currently a custom in the UK on Thursday evenings for people to hang out their windows and clap for key workers, members of NHS staff on the front line mm -hmm. fighting the virus. And we have a member of NHS staff here on the podcast. And up until this week, I have refused to clap him. Why Why were you refusing? I didn't actually, I hadn't acknowledged that you were refusing to clap me. Because I don't feel like uh, you had deserved the clapping. I didn't think you were pulling out all the stops on the front line and doing everything within your control. <coughs> Sorry, I'm, I think I'm allergic to you. And so I have not clapped you, but this evening I am going to give you a patronising token clap because you did something good yesterday, didn't you? I did, I did do something good yesterday. Thank you, James. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Private Practice Podcast. I'm James Hall. Uh, hello, I'm Daniel P. Brown. And so, oh, I haven't actually got my notes up on the laptop. What? No notes. What am I without my notes? Firstly, today, I want to have a little recap. Mm. So far this season, we've looked at what is a problem. Uh, and why you need more of them. Uh, does the self exist? Well, no, that was... Yeah, I, I was going to do the recap slightly slower than that. Yeah, but, but weren't you going to like go through the titles and then... Okay, yeah. Well, okay, so what is a problem? Uh, hmm. Then the next one was called Ego, but does the self exist? Mm -hmm. Then the next one was called The Discovered Self, a look at Jung's um, arguments for why you should get to know yourself. Um, he was arguing, at the time that he wrote that, he was arguing about the individual versus tyrannical oppression from a political power, for example. You made um, it all about phones, didn't you? Yeah, I made it all. Cool. I said that yeah. in the present day, we can look at it from the point of view of losing your self-identity to the AI, the algorithm and the organisations that profit yeah. from your data. Mark Zuckerberg. And then we looked at how to deal with isolation and the virus and... Mm -hmm. I think lots of words were said in that episode, and I think some of them. <laughs> who, 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 you never take responsibility, do you? For say, lots of words were said, or we talked about, or we didn't acknowledge, and I feel like there's a lack of responsibility taking on your behalf. Well, I haven't edited last week's episode yet, so I'm not going to mm -hmm. assume I know what the listener heard, but. Uh, but you will know what the listener is going to hear because you're the one who has the the final say in which of your mistakes you broadcast. <laughs> which of your failures are I the least. Slip. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, you allow. If there was anything I said last week that wasn't quite as perfect, wonderful and divine as it should have been, well, maybe I can compensate for that this week. And so... What better way to start mm -hmm. than with some audience feedback? The listener has spoken. 
And what did they say? So there was a time when the listener spoke but once a year and we included that in our Christmas special. And then so far this year, we've already had additional listener feedback in one of our Flow episodes. And so now this is the second listener feedback of the year that we're talking about. And it's it's only, what is it, April? According to the listener, we're in the habit of having very detailed, complicated, involved um, mm, yes. conversations mm-hmm. about very complex topics very and complex, then yeah. signing off at the end with, so just remember that if you let outside powers beyond your control make all the decisions in your life, if you, lo- if you give the external the locus of control, it's entirely your fault. You you deserve everything you have coming to you. Really, you should just pull your socks up and flow. I've been James Hall of the Private Practice Podcast. He's been Dan Brown. See you next week. Wait, what's your point? No, that didn't make any sense. Start again. Try that again. The listener says what? <laughs> the listener has accused us of talking about a, the many complexities of a subject mm-hmm. But then finishing by saying, but none of that nuance matters. Our ultimate message is that you should just pull your socks up and start flowing and stop blaming the world for, for example, structural violence for the laws of nature, the laws of power, Mm -hmm. your genetic programming, Mm -hmm. your lack of free will. Uh Stop blaming the world for that. Stop blaming capitalism. Stop claiming that Marxism will save everything. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You stupid idiot. Pull your socks up. Get a grip. Yeah. Meditate, flow, yep, be cool, like me, cool. Divine James Hall. Cool, cool. cool. So he's criticising you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so I thought I'd humour the listener because actually... Now, humour or um, irritate, because they're kind of opposites. But let's see what you do. Give it a go. Well, it depends on which of the listener we're talking about here. It does, it does, because I think one of our other the listeners would probably just enjoy it. So... The listener, you know who you are, has written out his point of view. Lovely. Because I said, I I asked him to state his point of view so that it was concise so that we could actually address that rather than what I think his point of view is. So these are his words or hers or its. You have a choice about what to do with your life and mental health within the wider parameters that society and structure allows you. And those are yet once again narrowed by a combination of actual structural violence and the identity that you have yourself internalised in determining what is thinkable and what isn't for yourself. Right. So how do you interpret that? Well, that there are limits on what anyone can achieve because of what is truly there in society stopping them. And there are limits that you can put on yourself internally. Yes. Oh, thank you. Good. Um, and whilst the, the listener may be detecting some inconsistencies in what I've said before and what I'm about to say, I have nothing to criticise about the factual contents of that claim. Uh-huh. I, too, can observe the world and see the same existence of external forces and powers that 
prevent a person from having complete free will or prevent a person from pushing through a glass ceiling or prevent a person from just living their life in a world that doesn't have racism. These things exist and they have not only a, an impact on what you're able to do, but also how you view yourself if you let them. Uh-huh. But I still think it's wrong, 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 and more wrong with a capital W, a capital R, a capital O, a capital N, and a capital G, possibly with several exclamation marks at uh -huh. the end. Yeah, yeah, I saw them, even though you didn't, you know, hadn't yet said them. Mm. And it's quite complex to go into why. So obviously I want to do that. So... <laughs> I thought we were recapping the best bits of the season so far and like, you know, being playful with it. You've got some agenda here. I think it's a nice thing to do to recap the season so far. Yeah. In the form of an answer to the listener who has taken the time against his better judgment. There was a, an element of irritation with the delivery of that message that he's taken the time to write out his view. I thought that in recapping our view that we've presented in this series, we could do it as a response to that. Right, right, right. That wasn't very clear. Also, didn't you say you can completely see how that is the case? And then you said it was wrong, 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 exclamation mark. So I've just said why anyone can look at the world and if you pay attention you can see racism you can see glass ceilings you can see how some people have all the chances in life and mm -hmm. other people don't and way more complex ingrained issues than that plus you can also factor in the forces of mother nature and the laws of physics so like we can't just fly we can't fly, that's true. We can't turn off the weather. We can't, that's true. And then there's the genetics as well. So we have been gifted our very being from our parents who were simply passing on the limited imperfect genes that they too had inherited and so on since fish came crawling out of the sea approximately yeah. 430 million years ago. Yep, yep. Uh, so your 430 million year old flawed genes passed on from your parents have to face a world of racism, bad weather, your inability to flap your wings and fly. Right. And a whole load of other things that I can't even think of off the top of my head. Yeah. And these are all these oppressive outside forces that prevent you from being who you want to be being you know that all the messages you hear you if you put your mind to it you can be anything you want to be well no you can't because i've just listed a million reasons why not wait wait no 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 backtrack here backtrack here. i'm sure you know where you're going but i feel like i don't know where you're going so can you just try again and say what it is that you're saying you accept that there are lots of limiting factors to people's ability to achieve their potential. Yeah, so I don't need to repeat anything. All I've done, what I've done so far is read out the listener's view yeah. and then agreed with it. Yes. That's where we are at the moment. You've caught up now. Do you feel caught up or do you want to feel a bit more caught up? Mm. Okay, I've caught up. Thanks, James. I've established, therefore, that I agree that I can view these external constraints in the world. Let's call them constraints. Yes, you can see those. 
Um, I do not deny their existence. He does not deny their existence. I'm not going to deny racism, the Holocaust. Obviously, I wouldn't do that because I love bringing that up at any inappropriate moment. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to deny any of it. And I, I still think it's wrong. So now, to recap what we've been talking about, we initially said that you need, in order to understand yourself better and have a better sense of self-identity, you need to create more problems because if you don't have problems to overcome, um, you're, you don't understand yourself. Oh, no, you need to bring your problems into awareness, not necessarily create more problems. No. Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. Yeah, you yeah, to... yeah. You need to bring them into, you, man, you need to manifest them in a manageable, workable form like you by by labeling them and defining them. Yeah, so I sorry, I yeah, I jokingly said you need more problems. That's not the same as creating more problems. It's that you don't realize you have problems, you repress them, you have bad dreams, you're uh -huh. forgetful, mm -hmm. you're frustrated, you have a general underlying dissatisfaction with life, you have bad relationships, yep. you have all these issues and you don't realize that it's that all of this is being caused by your own internal problems and lots of people are quick to just blame the world for everything being wrong, 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 wrong when they have their own problems that they don't know and in order to start to have a better life you need to know what your problems are so it's not that you need to create problems but you do need more problems if you don't think you've got problems because you do have problems. Yep, okay, still with you, just holding on there. Okay. Yep, yep, okay. Well, let's, let's create a visual metaphor for you still with this holding on you're shirtless yes on the russian plains like putin on a horse yes you've got the hands on the reins mm -hmm. but you're not really in control i am because i'm the only child <laughs> i don't know what character i would be in this because the, there's only the one horse <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am the horse i'm the sexy steed the impressive icon of fetishization. <laughs> wow. Okay, okay so, cool, cool. So we looked at why you need to know your own problems. Then we talked about why you need to, what the self is, because it doesn't exist. So just understanding what the, the fact that the self is an idea. And there's an interesting question also raised by the listener. Why do we have a sense of self? We didn't actually talk about that at all in the second episode we talked about what is the self um is it a real thing no if not how is it still a thing and we talked a lot about that and we put in uh lots of different ideas from Nietzsche and from the contemporary philosopher Julian Beghini and so on but we didn't I don't think say why do you have a sense of self I mean I think the simplest thing to say is that as complex organisms that can remember the past conceptualize the future and function socially the self or self-identity recognizing yourself as separate from other people is necessary for socialization and that is part of the reason why humans have evolved to be way more complex than all other animals and other species yeah, I think, you know, just my gut reaction to that is that it gives a sense of belonging and place. Belonging, place and purpose. It's a way of defining what it is we're meant to do and what is right and what but is I don't, wrong. Chitsy, um, Mickley, Chitson Mickley, I've heard lots of people refer to him recently and they 
don't pronounce his name Chitsun Mikkeli, but I like that pronunciation, so I'm sticking with it. Chitsun Mikkeli, in his final chapter, his starts with trans, uh, transcendent tenth chapter Whoa. of flow. Yeah, he states that there is no God-given meaning. Humans create their own meaning. So, are you saying that having a sense of self is a kind of inherent meaning in the sense that? it gives you the possibility to create your own meaning because I don't necessarily think that, but I'm also not going to shoot it down or disagree with it off the top of my head. I just think that there is no meaning, but because we, by an accidental process of evolution, have a sense of self in order to function as complex yeah. social yeah. creatures, we have the byproduct of being able to make up meaning. And that involves all the other byproducts of anxiety and stuff that isn't no no yes and no so so yes um having a sense of identity a self it has it kind of pinpoints the boundaries with which within which you can operate you know so i am i am not but you know, I am a Christian, so I have these moral ideas and these ethical ideas that I adhere to and this spiritual identity. I belong to a group. I work within the boundaries of that group. So I I, part of my identity could be I am a Christian. Um, That's your group identity. Your individual identity is that you are made in the image of God. What? Your group identity is that you're a Christian and you go to church and you identify with shared beliefs and so on. But your self-identity is that you are made in the image of God. Part of your self-identity would be about how you yourself choose to attach some of your identity, some of who you are, to different groups. Okay. So I mean, of course, there might be some people who, you know, the lone wolf, the... You know the the loner, the 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 person who who wants to isolate and stay away from others, and they don't do that. But in terms of how you develop an identity through your experience and your family and your genetics and your education and the the place you were born and your friends and your family, um, all, all of these things add up like and are part of your identity. And I'm saying that all of those things come together and as you choose bits that you do and don't want to attach yourself to as yourself you know attach or recognize or identify as that is who and what I am the reason for the identity is to give you boundaries and rules and laws within which you can operate but that's not a self so what I was trying to differentiate and what Jung tries to differentiate when we looked at Jung's the undiscovered self or the whatever, which I forget which is our title and which is the actual book title, The Discovered or the Undiscovered Self. He is talking about developing self-identity to fortify yourself away from thinking of yourself as following a herd, uh -huh. being a sheep in a flock. Young held on to the undeveloped idea of the collective consciousness. So I'm saying that part of the individual identity is belonging. And part of the belonging is giving someone rules and boundaries and an operating system with which to work that bit that is the individual self. Okay, I completely agree with that. Maybe I didn't. No, you, you were time. being lazy and jumping to conclusions, and also I wasn't explaining my own thinking very well. Correct. So that is 
our contribution to why the self exists as opposed to just what is it and here's my contribution what's yours <laughs> well i said that it's uncharacteristically i use very few words you used lots of words got it wrong the first time and then tried again and did it better so role reversal there but i said that the reason we have an impression of a self even though it doesn't physically exist is so that we can differentiate ourselves from others and interact socially as opposed to just being a functioning zombie that <laughs> doesn't have any agency yeah okay so we have a self. Mm -hmm. It has a purpose. Mm -hmm. Jung talked about many things, one of which was that the developed self is a fortification against oppression. And um, so that was one reason that we gave for having a good sense of self, especially in the context of artificial intelligence. Anyone is in danger of losing the, the little control they have so we've talked. We, we listed all the things that are out of your control: the economy, the capitalist profit incentive that drives the economy, political power, how other people will respond to you, social hierarchies of class, the weather, sexuality, and whether that's perceived as perverted or normal and correct. So all of these things are outside of your control, but there are some things within your control and those things, anyone can risk losing those tiny precious things to artificial intelligence, to corrupt tyrannical power, to whatever will grab Apathy. Yeah, to, to whatever will grab Helplessness. If you don't develop them, they will be taken away from you because other people want them, because they can profit from them, they can exploit you. People have, through the years have been enslaved, have been put in concentration camps. Those are the extreme examples, but a more realistic one would be someone in an abusive relationship. They give up their self-identity to the relationship and the other person basically controls them. Uh -huh. So there are endless reasons that we have given as to why you should develop your sense of self but the listener is still stating that well i don't i don't know if the list i don't i don't think there is actually any disagreement the listener is not necessarily saying that you shouldn't develop your self identity but the listener is putting an emphasis on how small the self identity is and how big the external oppression is and mm. this is why mm. so this is Finally, what, how, how far are we in? I don't know, half an hour or something. Um, yeah. This is why I think that view is wrong. Because let us take two quantum universes in which there is an identical person in each with identical genes, identical environment, identical everything both start from exactly the same point it's the same human they're just in two parallel universes okay couldn't we just use twins in the same universe well maybe but then you could say oh but twins are not absolutely identical you could use the small differences maybe the parents 
have a, one of them has a stronger attachment to one of the parents and that is the parent that instills more assertiveness okay yeah yeah, so, yeah yeah let's let's use the much more relatable example of two parallel universes with the same exact person go use that yeah go for that go for that much simpler most people can relate to that quantum physics simplifies yep. everything of course so Two identical people in two quantum parallel universes. Uh-huh. One of them has the view that they're going out into a world that is a horrific force of oppression and that everything is standing in their way and that they have a few things within their control, but realistically it's kind of a lost cause because if you look at a cost benefit analysis or if you look at if you if you look at it economically on the one side you've got 50 billion forces oppressing you and on the other side you've got half a force that is within your own control if you view the world like that i think you have the worst possible chance of reaching your potential of the most enjoyable life um, I think at every step of the way, you're more likely to feel unjust victimization and internalize that as your identity. You're more likely to be angry and to be driven by that anger and therefore not be very productive in how you channel your energy into the external world. You're just, I mean, some people do get things done with anger, but I don't think there is anything to suggest that that is the best way to do anything and on and on and on I just think to have that outlook sets you up for the worst possible chances in life so then compare the person the identical person Mm -hmm. who has more of the Mikli Chitson Mikli Carl Jung view that they are an individual with sovereignty and personal responsibility and if they do all the things if they meditate if they flow if they take everything within their control to improve their life they will enjoy all the benefits of the concept of flow and beyond that best case scenario they go way beyond the complexities of flow which some people think is a naive concept but I don't want to go into who those some people are and or that who that some person is and they basically enjoy their life but the two people get to exactly the same position they both have the same genes they both have the external forces of power and nature and physics they both reach the same glass ceiling so if they're both for example, disabled black lesbians who want to become president of the United States, they both hit that glass ceiling where eventually everyone tells them that no, Americans won't vote for a disabled black lesbian to be their president and they don't make it. So they both encounter the same hell and suffering of existence on earth, but one of them has the impression that it is a progressive narrative through life of meaning and within that enjoyment can be found as we completely detailed in flow and have subsequently um, given examples of others and we have some more to come Mm -hmm. whereas the other person 
goes through that hell, that tyranny, the suffering of the inevitable suffering of life on earth that everyone goes through and is miserable and angry all the way through and likely doesn't get to the same glass ceiling. But if by some chance they don't let their anger and their resentment, if, if somehow their anger and their resentment and their victimization manifests itself as a force for progression, they still hit the same glass ceiling and they still face the same forces, but they don't enjoy their life. They don't feel meaning. They just feel victimized by the unjust oppression of the powers of society. So two worldviews, both factually correct, both within the realms of reality, both lead to exactly the same outcome. In those two parallel worlds of unjust hell and you know social injustice and glass ceilings and racism and disableism and prejudice sexism that's and like, discrimination I was about to say womanism but no sexism womanism. they both get to the same point but one of them enjoys their life the other one doesn't so there's nothing wrong in pointing out the life trajectory of the one who doesn't enjoy her life but i think that that is the worst possible way to live your life therefore i think that view is wrong so I'm not saying it's factually wrong, but I think it is wrong to view your life that way if you want to live your life the most enjoyable way possible. Whereas if you listen to me, <laughs> whereas if you flow, if you follow the advice of whatever, but let's just use flow as our example. If you Flow, follow... meditate, um, use a little bit of introspection. None of that is getting rid of racism none of that is making you fly uh -huh. none of that is smashing a glass ceiling uh -huh. none of that is changing your genes yep. or your parents or eliminating your problematic attachment theory or anything like that it is just giving your life meaning and enjoyment and that is the best way to live your life and whilst i just gave the example of two fake people in a quantum world that doesn't exist and probably offended most of the audience by calling them a pregnant black lesbian who doesn't get to be president and ends up as a community support officer and is the victim mm -hmm. of womanization or whatever i said um womanism i think womanism yeah um, we don't, you don't need to take that ludicrous example as your only example. You can look at two real examples, okay. very famous ones. There is Viktor Frankl, who was imprisoned by the Nazis, my favorite topic. Um, and he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, in which he came out of a concentration camp. He survived the concentration camp and observed... Uh, patterns of behavior inside the camp and noticed that the people because the whole idea of the concentration camp was to eliminate self-identity like you have a uniform you are just a worthless nothing in that concentration camp and you're there you are removed from society because you have no worth so you have no self you have no purpose you have nothing and you are subject to tyranny oppression torture and structural violence there's definitely structural violence in the concentration camps mm -hmm. and he noticed that the people who apart from the ones who were actively killed the people who died and uh, didn't survive the camps were consistently the ones who let go of all their whatever you want to call it control agency the consequential choice that they have in life um, whereas the ones who kept hold of the tiniest things, like if they could choose, 
if they were given a stale end of a loaf of bread, if they could choose to, this is the example he gives, if they could choose to break off a piece of it and give it to their friend who is more hungry than they are, they have used their own sense of self to make a consequential decision based on their own idea of morality. They have controlled that situation, they have made a decision and it has had the consequence of helping the friend who is more hungry. The people who did that, the people who took control in the tiniest of things, the only minuscule bit of control left they had in their lives were the people he noticed who survived the concentration camps and lived to tell the tale. And that's what he did. And that's why he wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, because he felt like it is for the individual to create their own meaning and to hold on to that and to recognise what is in your control and what is outside of your control and focus on the importance of what is in your control rather than just resigning yourself to the hell of existence uh, in a world that is unfair and unjust and nasty to you and doesn't let you be a celebrity or a swan. And then the other example is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, more or less the same thing, except that that was in the communist gulags under Stalin. Mm -hmm. He fought for the communists against the Nazis in World War II and then afterwards was imprisoned by the, the state that he fought for and was in a Russian gulag for eight years. And in there they had to sleep in pits in the remote wilderness of freezing cold northern Russia. And these pits were riddled with insects. They had their heads crushed all kinds of hideous torture and he survived that and came out the other side and wrote about it and won a Nobel Prize for it. Not that a Nobel Prize as a symbolic goal is something that you should live for, it's the meaning in everyday purposeful activities that give you a sense of flow, not the Nobel Prize at the end of it. So that's why I think the listener is wrong. Boom, well... There you go. But rather than just a rant... Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else have you got for us, James? I gave some helpful advice to a friend and he found it useful, so I thought I'd share it with... Um, uh, yeah, something else. I so know. this is advice you gave a friend who was struggling a bit, is it? Yes. Well, what were they struggling with? You know, more generally. Let's not get too specific and personal. A lack of meaning working in a low-level position in sales with lots of stresses and demands that are totally unrealistic and very low wage and very high turnover rate. Working for the man. Um, I said to him the following, I think I have some more useful advice than going on about how wonderful I am. So what precedes this was a number of messages from me to him, which essentially can be boiled down to, I'm James Hall, I'm wonderful, I'm divine, <laughs> be like me. And then I thought, oh, that's not very helpful. So no. let me see if I can give him something more helpful. So I said, you need to be specific with what you're aiming. Oh, by the way, this is during the lockdown, during the coronavirus outbreak. He's currently in Greece, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's the same all over the world. I said, you need to be specific with... Uh, so, sorry. <laughs> so he's, 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 he's in lockdown like much of the world at the moment. And last week we talked about how that can breed anxiety and blame and all these sorts of things. And so I was concerned that he wasn't having a good time of it. So I thought, what can I say that might be helpful that's not me going on about how wonderful I am? Gosh, and, it, yes. and this is what I said. 
and apparently he found it helpful, so that's why I'm sharing it. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I said, you need to be specific with what you're aiming for in the day, the coming weeks, and the rest of the year. Most anxiety comes from catastrophizing about the future, being too distracted by things in the present outside of your control, and dwelling on the impossible alternative pasts that never were. So just to start with, here are two scenarios. Number one, you can tell yourself you have a roof and food and rationally think that that should be enough to be okay. But then you imagine if you'd done something different, you'd have better circumstances and your current ones suddenly feel insufficient. On top of that, the government could always have done something different to make your life better and they didn't. Then you could try and avoid disaster in the future by considering all the problems you should try and avoid with foresight, but the anxiety of choosing what to do among seemingly infinite things, which feels helplessly random, takes you to depressive or nihilistic views of the future. So what's the point in the roof and the food today? And you didn't even notice the good things around you that are unaffected by your income or coronavirus. On top of all of this, some of the people you know are worse off than you and that's a disaster. Well, some are better off, and by comparison, your life is atrocious. Suddenly, out of nowhere, you have the worst day you've had in ages. It was supposed to be okay because of the roof over your head and the food in your kitchen, but that logic didn't work. So you smash the roof, chuck the food out for feral dogs, and tonight you'll be cold, wet, hungry, helpless, and depressed. That's scenario one. And then I gave scenario two to compare. Ah, oh. oh, right, okay, okay. So quantum physics to Get solve it. people's problems, obviously. obviously. I think I should have some kind of magazine agony uncle column whereby I use quantum physics to solve people's problems, even though I'm not a quantum physicist and couldn't possibly explain the laws of quantum physics well, in a scientific way. It's, it's not really quantum physics, is it? It's just the, um, the concept of parallel universes. That's okay. all it really is. Yeah. So in parallel universe to the one that I've just described, this happens. The only thing you need to do today or before the end of the week is settle on some kind of online educational stuff. This is specific to him, but mm -hmm. whatever you might think would be useful in your own life. This has meaning because the main resource you have right now is time. So it's a pursuit you can realistically benefit from. You also have the benefit of access to a lot of useful information. Start with my recommendations, I gave him a couple, rather than 100% of several thousands of years of human knowledge because I gave him two specific things and therefore if he hates them he's learnt what he doesn't want rather than being anxious about infinite choice. Uh -huh. Then go for a run and don't bother thinking about anything besides your body and the built natural environment around you, so that's a form of mindfulness plus the endorphins of exercise. Nice, nice. Try to notice new things without judgment. So don't catastrophize about the state of housing and what every politician has failed to do about it ever. Just look around you and think, oh, I've never noticed that uh, building. Then cook and try to make some simple dish better than last time. And finally, finish the day lost in another world of fiction, satisfied that you've done three things instead of none, they were all okay, and if you structure the day the same way tomorrow, you can improve upon any of them, and suddenly your day is absolutely fine. I like it. So, what would our listener say to that, I wonder? Uh, what, do you want me to do a cartoon villain impression of the listener and totally misrepresent his thoughts because that's what I'd love to do. The listener would think, oh, you stupid idiot for being so naive and thinking you have any control. You're just a, another idiot puppet to the forces of habitus and narrativization. You can run and you can look at the buildings around you, but 
all the while you're being oppressed by the world that is unjust and unfair and it's all wrong and you have no control over it and you should know this because otherwise you're stupid and when you get back there's nothing for you in life because you're not part of the privileged white male elite although he is technically white and male. So don't even bother trying to get out of your terrible life of suffering on earth because there's nothing better for you. Your personal pathetic little life counts for a few grains of sand, whereas the oppressive forces keeping you in your place amounts for the full force of the planet of Saturn. So you are nothing compared with the forces of oppression pummeling you back down to earth. So just know that and don't be stupid, you idiot. And what would he really say? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not going to ask that question again, actually. Um, so I feel very dissatisfied again good let's talk about it in a freeform way without any notes oh. okay well i felt like this was a review it was going to be a review of the season so far but now i think perhaps you just had a few things you absolutely had to say no it was absolutely a review we looked at the sequence of episodes progressively building up as opposed to just being some random topic generator of the week button uh-huh. this time last year summer season 2019 mm-hmm. um, we looked at a different topic of psychoanalysis each week and it was random insofar as I had taken some small books with me traveling because they fitted in my suitcase and I happened to have access to them when I was in the previous private practice and you said Mm -hmm. I could borrow them. Mm -hmm. So I put them in my suitcase because I wanted to read them and they were small and easy to carry. And so when each week I came up with, today we're going to look at Hysteria, that was because that was the book in my suitcase that I had read that week. And so you very wittily said, what is the random topics generator presenting this week? Yes. Whereas this year, we don't have a random topics generator. After looking at flow, the, the feedback we got from our listener was that we have not thought about structural violence. We have not talked about the, the greater mass of forces external to a person. We've just said, forget all that. Use your internal forces to flow. Get that chip off your shoulder. Don't be a stupid, victimised social justice ranty boring liberal lefty snowflake pansy start taking personal responsibility and flow yeah and so to address that this season the topics that we've talked about have all acknowledged to some extent the opposing forces of an internal and external locus of control things that are within your control, the difference between the ones that are accessible, such as meditation, and the ones that are inaccessible, such as psychoanalysis, unless you happen to have an analyst and the money to pay for them, and so on. I think the only thing that we, maybe we should talk about this now, is that it is important to address the fact that no one will just automatically know 
about meditation. No one will just automatically know about the flow book. You can automatically feel like the world is unfair and full of suffering and it's unjust and therefore you are a victim. You can come to that position automatically, but you can't automatically know about meditation, flow, mindfulness, CBT, all the rest of it. You need someone to tell you about it. You need to discover it. You need to realize that it matters and can improve your life. Otherwise, you'll live your whole life without it. And lots of people, I think, dismiss meditation as some hippie nonsense, you know, some sitting looking at a California sunset and feeling calm. Probably lots of people dismiss flow as sort of like naive kidding yourself. Yeah, if I get into the flow mindset, I'll just have positive thinking. Yeah, positive vibes. I'm going to channel those positive vibes, which obviously is not what flow is about. But it's easy to dismiss all of these things if you don't pay enough attention to what they really are. And it's easy to never even know about them in the first place. And to, you know, to the listeners' comments about the, you know, oppressive mass external to us that we cannot control, is it not better to use whatever techniques that we have at our disposal and learn whatever techniques are out there to enable us to enjoy living in the moment more, to enable us to enjoy any activity that we are allowed by the oppressive mass to do? Is it not better to enjoy that? Is it not better to listen to to privileged white males describe how to do that and then even despite whatever our circumstances try and practice it? Is that not better to have that than to not have it? Surely the more oppressed, the more the more the more damaging society and external factors are to you, the more necessary it is to find something internally to strengthen and galvanize reserves to to create and nurture a robust internal reaction to that. Anti-fragile, not robust. Robust is neutral. Fragile is weak to the external forces and losing your sense of identity. Robust is having a stiff upper lip, but ultimately repressing your subconscious. Anti-fragile is actively doing something, being no, no, the verb, the no, doing no, word. No, no, no. In, in my world, that is not what robust means. Robust is, is the ability to um, withstand. That's why the guy who wrote the book Anti-Fragile wrote the book Anti-Fragile because... He didn't like the word robust. Because it doesn't mean the opposite of fragile. There isn't a word that means the opposite of fragile. That's why people use robust to mean both robust and anti-fragile. It is a word that means two things in the English language because there is no such word that is not fragile but is the opposite. That's why he invented the word anti-fragile. So, so strong is not the opposite of fragile? No, because strong doesn't improve when it's dropped. Strong just doesn't break when it's dropped. Whereas humans improve when they come out of adversity. On the other, If you suffer as a human and you learn and grow from it, you improve as a person. You have a more developed sense of self. You have memories of overcoming that obstacle and achieving something in your life and that is meaningful and therefore that you are more as a result of adversity where so like take glasses a glass glass when you drop it it's fragile and it smashes 
a plastic cup that you might give to a child when the plastic cup is dropped by the by the stupid child who can't hold on to it mm-hmm. um obviously i didn't drop cups when i was a divine only child. Was, yeah, yeah. Uh, when the when the plastic cup is dropped by the child it's robust it doesn't break and the child can drop it hundreds of times and no damage will be done to the plastic cup it won't smash like the glass one it is strong it is robust there does not exist a cup that you can drop and after it's been dropped it is a better cup it is a it is a more purposeful meaningful cup i think the word is tempered then i don't, i just do not agree that this guy has written his book and has come up with a totally new concept because he said anti-fragile bullshit robust would mean that to most people even if the technical definition in the dictionary but this is a subject of linguistics which we're not having so a why are we not fucking having it because you don't want to fucking have it because it's too complicated we could talk for hours about how people understand their view of the world according to the language that they've learned and that's um, but but your other topic. But you're yeah. You're saying that just because this guy has written a book and he has said, oh well, actually, there's fragile and robust is not the opposite of that. Think of a fucking plastic cup. <laughs> and I'm saying, okay, then so so robust or tempered, and also the way people speak and the kind of the the scope of the meaning is is above and beyond the dictionary definition of that fucking word. Okay, so when you say ru- robust, you actually mean anti-fragile because that word isn't in the dictionary, so you have to use robust. No, I don't mean anti-fragile because that's 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 not what I'm talking about. What do you agree that resilient if, perhaps I might also say. No, because the cup is resilient, it doesn't break. Do you agree that people come out of adversity stronger? I do. I do agree. And I would say maybe then it's tempered is the word that you're looking for, like the way you hammer steel to make it stronger. <gasps> he forgot about that word, did he? Sorry whoever you are who we can't remember. Who's written His surname is Talib, and then it's got Nassim in it, and I think it starts with Nicholas, but I may have got those in the wrong order. I certainly just delivered those backwards anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, blah, 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 backtracking somewhat here, we were talking about... Sorry, I was suggesting that actually, even in pure dark adversity, ex- external um, pressures... To have some ideas, some techniques, some tools or some some internal activities to strengthen and temper your your you know your response, your internal response to that difficult world is better than not having them. Yeah, makes you anti fragile. <laughs> If you like. And gives you meaning because as I've always said this, there is a whole other school of thought. Let me see if I can condense it into to five minutes. So philosophy that has endured to today and um, vast tomes are written on the subject. Let's see if we can shove it into the end of the episode in about five minutes. And that is stoicism. So far, that has not featured Give at all. Give me an S. <laughs> Give me a T. Give me an O. Give me an I. Damn. Give me a C. Give me an I. Give me an S. Is, give me an M. They referred to the self as the inner citadel. So they used the idea of a fortification as a visual metaphor. We're talking... But it was still fragile. It wasn't an anti-fragile fortification. Is that right? 
No, this is, in this case it's robust. Oh, it was a robust fortification. Well, okay. that's what a fortification is, robust. It doesn't get stronger every time it's attacked. It's robust. It just repels the attack, but it doesn't get better. A castle doesn't get better every time there's a siege. It just repels the However, attack. the inhabitants may well do. Yes, because they're humans and therefore complex dissipative organisms, unlike the bricks and mortar of a castle. Um, but the fact that they called the mind or the self or um, however they viewed it, because we're going back a long time now, like really old, ancient. Super old. So, and But the, re- the, the, the reason I'm bringing this in now, because I've been reluctant, I haven't thought about talking about um, stoicism in the podcast before, but the reason I'm talking about it now is because it predates capitalism it predates communism it predates flow it predates everything it's ancient uh, philosophy and so because of that because there are so many overlaps with what we talk about it goes to show that these are timeless things and not modern fads and they are also in being timeless not in any way correlated to the forces of capitalism or Western democracy or anything like that, because when these ideas were first at least written down, none of that existed. There was no capitalism. There was no Western democracy. There were just philosopher kings in Greece and Rome. Uh huh. So the um, the Stoics believe that no matter what happens to you, you always remain in control of who you are, which is essentially what we've talked about today uh-huh. at length. They refer to the self as the inner citadel, like I just said. The only danger this faces comes from within, and no world war, oppressive patriarchy, or structural violence can penetrate this, says James Hall, slightly tongue-in-cheek. The core to Stoic philosophy is, one, recognising what is in and out of your control. So this is like basic CBT, or just CBT, not basic. Uh, two, setting goals, and, and also that obviously means that you don't have to reject the view of the listener. You do have to recognise what is out of your control. It's not like you're denying your genes, your glass ceiling, racism, structural violence, forces of physics and nature. You don't deny, you don't repress them, you don't pretend they don't exist. You recognise that they exist, mm. but you also recognise what is in your control because that's what you're going to focus on subsequently i feel like that was just self-evident in what we we're talking about because we, we're talking about uh, in all of our seasons the effects of the external on the internal that's what this is about yeah so someone's opinion of you yeah you don't have a beach body dan brown oh i totally do just not not the typical beach <laughs> Um, so then setting goals for things partially in your control so the example that's often used is um, in a game of tennis you cannot absolutely control every game of tennis to win but you can control everything that happens on your side of the court so you're partially in control so the difference in view the, the stoic view is I tennis player will play to the best of my ability and every time I play tennis I will try and play better than the last time that is more or less identical to flow. The the unstoic view is I have to win, I have to beat the opponent. That's the only symbolic goal that matters. If I lose, I'm nothing. Yep. 
black and white thinking CBT. Black and white thinking, absolutely. Concrete, black and white, discounting the positive thinking. And number three, establishing virtue and reason to guide and facilitate easy decision making for things within your control, all of which originate from the mind. Mm-hmm. So that's the 10th transcendent chapter of flow, whereby you have to create meaning and unify all the flow activities in your life according to a, a unified goal to have a sense of purpose. There's not a symbolic goal like happiness, but a goal such as I want to have a family or I want to be a successful engineer or I want to paint paintings a goal that you can focus all of your little activities towards. So like if I want to be a painter, maybe I could go for walks and enjoy nature. Maybe I could also talk to people and have good relations because then I can bring their ideas to my work and et cetera, et cetera. Everything feels unified and purposeful Mm -hmm. rather than just random. Mm -hmm. And it's a practical philosophy that can provide a life meaning like flow. Stoics rely on themselves rather than circumstance and develop their own mental anti-fragility. Like everything we talk about, this is a lifelong pursuit of action and not an overnight policy change or a hack. And also like anything we talk about, aside from a decade of one-to-one analysis, it's a simple-to-understand philosophy accessible to anyone. But you would have to have... Um, access to some kind of uh, stoic philosophy book and this is where I have some helpful tips practical advice for the listener that's what I am I'm just a practical advice machine just giving useful real Uh things that the listener can actually use in their life I'm not just hot air and excessive words and self-glorification and Mm. feeling like I just have to get something off my chest or tell the world my important things mm-hmm. because I that reinforces my impression of my own divinity. No, I'm not that. Cool. I am a practical person who helps people. So here are the references. Darren Brown. Who is Darren Brown? Is he a relation? I'm not saying. <laughs> Darren Brown, the famous TV make things appear real guy. I think they call themselves mentalists, you know. The famous TV mentalist, Darren Brown, has a book called Happy. So obviously, I hate it by its title. But it is a guide to stoicism within capitalism, specifically to do with consumerism and how to live your life stoically without falling prey to constantly wanting bigger TVs, more TVs, other TVs. Mm -hmm. New trainers. That look like TVs. <laughs> yeah. Trainers with TVs in them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Trainers that control your TV. Trainers with apps that record DIY Chateau in the Loire or whatever it is that you watch. With, okay. oh, what are their names? Dick and Fanny or something. <laughs> Dick and Angel. Um, Escape to the Chateau DIY. Okay, so yeah. The gist of the Darren Brown book is uh, a guide to living a stoic life without um, becoming addicted to the, the the external locus of control of consumerism. Buy, 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 more, more, more. Nothing is ever enough. Keep slaving away to have more stuff and then don't be happy with it and want more. Nice. Good summary. Um, meanwhile, if you don't want a British view, mm-hmm. you can have an all-American, hey guys, we're going to feel better with Ryan Holiday's 
daily stoic book uh-huh. that I would recommend. I haven't actually read that in full. I've kind of read a short version of it, but I would recommend that um, on the basis that it is daily stoicism and it's not something that you just, where you just read the book and know it for life. It's something that you gradually practice. And mm, so the sounds I- good. Yeah. So the idea of his book is that you, read a little bit every day and over the course of a year you gradually familiarize yourself with the ideas that can help change your mindset in a cbt or that sounds like a good read so that's ryan holiday and someone else stephen hanselman and the book is called the daily stoic you can also read the original stuff if you're a lofty intellectual and feel you're above everyone else i'm not so seneca's letters from a stoic there's another book that's not specifically about stoicism but it's absolutely fantastic it's called the happiness hypothesis by jonathan Haidt. um it's sort of like contemporary psychology um with some overlap with stoicism and then if you're illiterate don't feel left out absolutely james don't feel like structural violence has forgotten or has oppressed you and we have ignored that and forgotten you or denied it and told you to pull your socks up nevertheless because you can listen to one of my favorite podcasts which is called voices in the dark and they have a 33 part season on the minutiae of stoicism you can have daily stoicism for 33 days if you want to and that is so it's called voices in the dark and the season is called the modern stoic and the advice the general advice for stoicism is to take it slowly and to start to write down things in your life outside of your control um, and then move on to your mind and body and things that are inside your control and reassign goals for things partially within your control so like I said with the tennis I will do better than I did last time rather than I have to win at all costs and then finally move on to beyond the CBT style stoicism the teachings of things like avoiding negative projection onto other people are when stoicism becomes more complex and there is more overlap with psychoanalysis than with CBT so if you get balls deep into stoicism it is quite a substantial philosophy and not just a life hack Right, good. Stoicism, nice. And that's all for me for Stoicism because, like I said, one of my favourite podcasts has hours and hours and hours where they talk about all the Stoicism, so there's no need for us to repeat that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good. So is there anything else that you absolutely have to say today? Absolutely nothing. Wow. Do you want to just try a little breathing technique? Mm-hmm. No. You don't want to count the blue things in the room? No, I'm not. The red things in the room? Not today, no. Do you have any jokes? (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh, Not even a structural violence joke, like a black disabled lesbian. Oh, God. um, A working class Uh victim of domestic abuse. Oh, God, seriously? And a... Fat, cancer-riddled... Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Paedophile. Walk into a bar and the barman says... Get out, you're not welcome here. Get out of my bar, pull your socks up and start flowing. And then when you do that, you can come back in here and I'll serve you. (laughs) Oh, James. That's a great joke. So much about that joke was just... 
anyway, on that on that incredible <laughs> finale, I'm going to say it's goodbye from me, a somewhat crestfallen Daniel P. Brown. <laughs> and my crest could not be more erect. I have been James Hall of the Private Practice Podcast. See you next week. Stay robust. Stay anti-fragile. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful story.